additional coverage podcast episode number 12 i'm your host tim hicks and joining me for today's additional coverage i'm once again pleased to welcome tip tipton hello everyone glad to be back for those of you who didn't know tip is the head of accounting policy at thrivent now today is the second of three consecutive episodes where we're going to talk about some very important regulatory changes that are happening But first, before we get into that, I would like to recognize the support received from IASA's member companies and volunteers. IASA is the voice of the insurance industry. If your company is not already a member, I would encourage you to consider all of the benefits that come along with membership in IASA. Find out more at IASA.org. Well, Tip, last time we talked about some proposed revisions to the current life insurance page or the state page for life fraternal and health insurers. This time, we're wanting to share some information with our listeners about the related parties reporting requirements that will be required for the 2022 annual statement. So can you give us a high-level overview of what the NEIC is wanting and why? Sure. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, so this particular issue uh, has been, I would say, several years in the making. Why do I say that? So there was several years ago, a perceived abuse by an insurance company whereby they used affiliates to make certain investments and they didn't fully disclose the relationship. Mm. Over the past several years, some of you may have noticed that there have been an enhanced requirements to identify not only affiliates, but related parties. For instance, there's been a new schedule called Schedule Y Part 3 as an example. But today we're going to talk specifically about a new column, an electronic-only column, within many of the investment schedules in the annual statement. And so with that, I want to highlight a couple of things. Why is it that Sapwig, in this case, because they were the sponsor of these changes, wanted to do this? So they wanted to clarify the reporting of affiliate transactions within existing reporting lines in the investment schedules. They also want a new reporting requirements for related parties. Now, let me state that what is an affiliate? What's a related party? Think of it this way. The related parties is a more overarching concept. It includes about 12 different groups or individuals that could have an influence over an entity or the management of that entity, where an affiliate is clearly defined as you own it. It's, most people associate an, a subsidiary maybe as affiliate. Now, in this case, there is already a good amount of affiliate reporting within the annual statement. What they appear to be lacking in this particular exposure and now adoption is identifying investments that are related or intertwined with related parties. So this is an influence versus ownership question, right, Tim? Yes. But now influence is going to play a part in this because that's where related parties come into play as opposed to an affiliate where it has more direct control. And let me highlight that a little bit. So we talk about an affiliate. What is that? When I have an affiliate of or a person affiliated with a specific person is a person that directly 
or indirectly through one or more intermediaries controls or is controlled by or is in common control with the person specified. Yes, that's the technical definition within the Holding Company Act. In reality, it mainly means they own you. They control what you do. And to your point, Tim, then you get into the world of related parties. Maybe they don't have a direct ownership, but they have a influence. And so that's what we're trying to identify within this particular item that's been adopted. So next, what I would like to do is highlight what investment schedules does this apply to? One simple way may be to say that it applies to all investment schedules except Schedule A, which is real estate. But just for specificity, I will highlight that it applies to Schedule BA, other invested assets, Schedule D, bonds, DA, short-term investments, DL, securities lending, E for cash equivalents, B for mortgage loans, and DB for derivatives. However, based on initial analysis from industry, we believe most of these transactions that are going to be impacted will be highlighted in Schedule BA, other invested assets, and Schedule D for bonds. As this item was exposed, there were six different codes that were being exposed to determine various types of investment relationships. And so I'd like to go over briefly those six items because we feel that it's very important for people to understand this. I have already received several questions and there seems to be some confusion how certain investments will be categorized. And I mentioned before, this is an electronic only column. There are six codes. Now we'll start with number six. The sixth code is the investment does not involve a related party. Why is this important? Every single investment on the schedules that I mentioned must have a code. And interested parties were against this. We felt that that just wasn't value added. We're expecting that over 99% of the items that will be tagged with a code will be six. I would think so. They, they felt that, and they say they, the regulators, felt that industry might omit or forget about this particular field. And so if we didn't force industry to incorporate all the codes in there, there might be some inadvertent omission. So that's the rationale. Uh, at this point, what we're doing is uh, complying. And I know we've already got it in the works. And I know many other companies are evaluating their current structure. And I will say, uh, talking with other insurers, that what they're starting to utilize is Schedule Y Part 1, which is the organizational structure. That's a good place to start. Not then, but at least as a starting point. So we'll start with number one. It reads, direct loan or direct investment, excluding securitizations, in a related party for which the related party represents a direct credit exposure. Simply put, this is where a lot of affiliates probably will end up. So if you have an affiliate below your insurance company, most likely could get tagged in one. As one Again, okay. you, yep, you have to evaluate each one independently. So number two and actually number three are somewhat related. It states securitization or similar investment, and this includes mutual funds, limited partnerships, and LLCs involving a relationship with related party as sponsor, originator, manager, servicer, or other similar influential role, which you talked about earlier, 
Tim, and for which 50% or more of the underlying collateral represents investments in or direct credit exposure to related parties. Number three, same thing, except it's not 50% or more, it's less than 50%. So if you have a securitization of some sort that's embedded in the LLC, then you need to determine if it's 50% or more of the underlying collateral or 50% or less than 50% and tag it accordingly. Okay. Then number four, this is the one that I believe is tripped up several insurers. States that securitization or similar investment vehicles, uh, mutual funds, limited partnerships, LLCs, in which the structure reflects, here's the key, an in-substance related party transaction. I'll come back to that in a second but does not involve relationship with a related party as sponsor, originator, manager, servicer, or other similar influential role. So, tip, what does that mean in English? <laughs> Please. Uh, it's, still, it's still being interpreted, but the examples that have been thrown out is that there's a belief that certain insurers may insert in, in not a related party between like two affiliates or two related parties. And so, in essence, they're a related party, even though you may technically say, well, this is not a related party, but yet we're still utilizing them as though they were. So this one's still got some, some gray around it. And yeah, I can see where it would be confusing. Yeah. <laughs> and so on a minute, I'm talking about the effective date because that's a big key to this. And so I want to go to first to the, the last one here, the number five. Uh, the investment is identified as related party, but the role of the related party represents a different arrangement than the options provided in choices one through four. Okay, so this is a catch-all bucket. This is the catch-all. Well, there's kind of two catch-alls. One, five, it's not one of one through four, and six and is not six one is through five. Again. So there we go. So five says it is a related party, but it's the catch-all for related parties, and then six is everybody else. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think I'm with you. So one of the concerns that industry parties has was that they originally said they wanted a annual 2022 effective date. And we felt based on the information that we've been provided, that this is going to be somewhat onerous and it will take a bit of time to go through all of our investments to make sure nothing like this is out there. Now, if that wasn't enough, they did clarify one other thing. So for instance, you're an insurance company. You own an investment manager. Investment manager has some private equities. In these scenarios, the regulators want to look through to investments that may not be direct investments of the insurer, but investments that are downstream and that are perceived to be embedded in other investments, i.e. private equity. So. Therein lies another kind of curveball in this whole process. And that's why interested parties believe that this is going to take a little while to go through all of those other investments to ascertain what's in them. However, annual 2022 is coming up soon. And I would encourage you to start the process of looking at any downstream investments you may have within your organizational structure and start tagging all these. Your investment accounting software should be able to accommodate this now. And so work with them to make sure that all six codes are available. Meanwhile, work with your investment folks 
and start identifying these because this is a significant change and we felt that this is going to take an extra effort on behalf of industry. Once it's even done and the results come out early next year from the annual statement, I believe it will get extra scrutiny from the regulators. And so there could be at some point additional changes down the road, but we'll have to hurry up and wait. But just to repeat what you were saying earlier, this affects every single invested asset with the exception of real estate, correct? Correct. Wow. And it's it's definitely going to be 2022 annual statement, correct? Correct. Wow. That's That's really, yeah, that's Yeah. And I just want to highlight that uh, for your reading pleasure on the Sapwick side, it's item 2021-21. And that's the sponsor of a blanks change. And the blanks item is 2021-22 BWG. So for those details, I would encourage you to go out to the NEC website under the respective working groups and pull up those documents. Yes. And like before, the proposal on the table has a public comment period ending on October 14th. Is that right, Tip? No, not this one. This has been adopted and is finalized. Oh, it's already adopted. Okay. So no comments further beyond this because they're falling on deaf ears. So... (laughs) Now you get down to how do carriers need to be getting ready for the changes? And I think your first advice is very sage. Start with your schedule. Why? Get through your whole org chart and see, okay, how am I carrying this in my, in my investment schedules? And then get those set. You can totally group things like, I mean, okay, all my 43R securities, well, most of my 43R securities at least, are probably going to be sixes. Gubbies obviously are going to be sixes. So you can eliminate big swaths of it at a time and then just focus on the things that you really need to dig into a little bit deeper and and make sure that you're reporting correctly. Yes? Generally, yes. Yep. I agree. As a general statement. General statement. Okay. So important to get on with that right now. Exactly. This will be in just a couple of months. Uh, Tip, once again, man, just having you here... With you having my back, it it is so important. And uh, having this information available to the industry via the podcast and any other avenue that we can use to get it out there is just so important. So I want to thank you again for sharing your knowledge with us today. Let's wrap up for today's podcast. Tip, once again, if our listeners want to follow up with you, what's the best way they can get in touch with you? Sure. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, my email is tip.tipton at thrivent.com. And as a representative of industry on behalf of Blank's Working Group, I welcome all comments and feedback on this process so we can provide this information to the regulators. So thanks again for your time, Tim. The uh, comments are welcome. And if you have any other comments about the show or some show suggestions or you would like to be on the podcast, you can always email me at tim.hicks at fisglobal.com. Tim.hicks at fisglobal.com. Now, on our next episode, we've got one more thing that uh, that Tip is going to educate us about, and that is the principles-based bond definition. It's still a couple of years down the line, probably, but it is very uh, wide-ranging, very sweeping changes that are going to be made, so you're not going to want to miss that podcast either. Be sure that uh, if you are enjoying these, these podcasts, these episodes, please hit that like button, subscribe button, 
whatever it is that you can see on your podcast distribution. So you make sure that you never miss those new episodes when they come out. Let your colleagues know about the podcast. Let your friends know about the podcast. And if you're looking at this on Apple Podcasts, you have the opportunity to rate and review the show. And we would really appreciate you for doing that. It helps other people find us. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.